0: Have you ever heard the sound of freedom?
1: Freedom. 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 freedom? Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? freedom. You are listening to The flip side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash noahfilippiak or at noahfilippiak.com slash give. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 33 of The Flipside podcast. How are you hanging in there with the COVID-19 pandemic craziness? I don't know about you, but it just feels like our country, the state of the way people interact about things relating to whether it's COVID-19 or any other subject is getting crazier and crazier. And so I want to talk about some of that. We've been talking about that the last two episodes, and we're going to hit on that more today because I think that really is where a lot of us are living, and a lot of us are just getting stuck and swept up. In it and participating in it, or others, we're just getting beat down by it, and just overexposure to some of these things, and it can really lead to some dark places—places places of just des- despair and depression—and and so. I like to talk about depression on the podcast, I like to talk about depression on my blog. It's something that I struggle with, and it comes in bouts and in phases, and I know a lot of people struggle with, a lot of Christians struggle with, and then feel a lot of stigma around struggling with it. So when I've been struggling with it, I tend to talk about it to try to help others who are struggling with it to know that you are still loved god loves you and uh, maybe to give some advice i don't know not maybe not advice but just some hope maybe hope is a is a better a better word uh but yeah for me covid-19 stuff has definitely played into the depression that i've been feeling depression is a multifaceted beast right it's typically never one thing but thing after thing after thing sort of play on each other uh, but the, the isolation of COVID-19 has, has been a factor. And I think I think that's something that a lot... Isolation is something that a lot of people deal with. A lot of people have to deal with. And I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm 37 and we have younger kids. And a lot of it has to do with I just moved to a new area. And I, I've mentioned this before, but I live in this rural town about 25 minutes away from where I work and you know, 25 to 40 minutes away from most of the people that I know, I'm acquaintances with or I'm friends with. And because of quarantining, I haven't been being as social and hanging out with people and my job is a pretty relational job and we're working from home and so those relationships are taken away. And so yeah, for me, one component of this this most recent bout of depression, and and one of the ways, one of the practical ways, there's there's several that I'm combating this through counseling, but strategies that you work on to sort of combat these things is just to intentionally be more social, and of course doing it in a safe way, a way that doesn't uh, put me in the harm of COVID and put others at harm, but but starting to get together with some people starting to get together socially uh, one-on-one conversations uh, going having dinner together I I really really need that and you do too and so I just I just hope that that at this point I think what's needed and this isn't well trust me we're going to get to this next I'm not trying to make any sort of uh political statement about COVID-19 people have some really Polarized um, opinions about that subject. I'm just saying there is our physical health and we need to be safe and keep others safe. I just, uh, a friend of mine was just saying how his friend's dad died from COVID 19 and he's, my friend has lost four family members who died from COVID 19. And it, it, uh, wow, right? That, that, if that may not be your, your reality, but you, you, you have to realize. That's the reality with this with this virus. And so we have to be safe. We also have to keep ourselves safe and healthy when it comes to our mental health. And mental health is a real thing. You know, suicide stats are just off the chart. And we that that doesn't happen overnight it's it's not all about about suicide you know depression comes in sort of many forms and waves and intensities uh, but it, it does feel like something we can't really talk about until it's too late and then let's talk about it yeah let's talk about suicide let's talk about depression but when you're in the midst of it why is it so hard to talk about it with people and and to talk about strategies against it so just in a time when I'm I'm betting and guessing most of you, maybe not most but many of you are feeling depression. You're feeling some level of depression at least more so than you normally would. Just be really intentional. And by intentional I mean you have to go out of your way to create these things in your life. So out of your way to create safe social ways of hanging out with people. And uh, to to do it often and frequently, and if you're married, talk to your spouse about it and just say, "Hey, I need I need more of this." Sort of getting permission to do that together, and uh, and your put that into your. What I mean by together is you as a couple or as a family hanging out with another couple or another family, or permission for you to to leave the house and and go and hang out with some friends or to have have some friends over and figuring out safe ways to do that. But but I just want to lead with that because, because this is real stuff. We're we in the July 22nd, 2020. And whew, who knew COVID-19 would be around for so stinking long. And even for those of you out there, if there are those of you out there saying, oh, this isn't a big deal. This isn't, uh, you know, everyone's overreacting to this. You still have to deal with that things are closed, that you know the rhythm of your church, the rhythm of your community. It's it's not the rhythm that it used to be. If you're if you're working from home uh, by choice or uh, because you're forced to work from home and you're normally working around coworkers every day, again the, these are things. No matter what your your thoughts are on COVID nineteen, you're still being isolated away from people, and certainly. You know, I do a lot of work with Covenant Eyes and with my book Beyond the Battle, and there certainly is an uptick in pornography use during a time like this when isolation is rampant and it just goes to show that the holistic the holistic purpose of really what the church is meant to be, the holistic purpose of of who the people of God are and and what we need, we need to know. That we are loved by God, that we are his sons and daughters, and He, we are his beloved children. He loves us. He's well-pleased with us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We also need to experience that through other Christians. And when we aren't, we tend to go towards fake forms of intimacy. Pornography would be one example of that. Uh, fantasy would be other examples of that. Even just copious amounts of television. Think about with being isolated how much social media and we've been talking about two episodes ago with my brother Patrick about Facebook and just the amount that people thumb through Facebook looking for intimacy but it actually leaves you more depressed that's actually statistically or clinically research based proven that the more time you spend thumbing through social media the more feelings of depression you get. So just have this stuff on your radar. Be talking to somebody about it. People in your community be talking about these things in ways that you can be intentional of having healthy social interaction. That's something I'm working on. And so I wanted to bring it to the podcast so that it's something uh, to be on your radar and just to know that you're not alone. And uh, I'm certainly not the only other one in your corner. There's many people in your corner and there's many people that are struggling with and dealing with similar things as you are. So, So reach out. Uh, you can reach out to me, you can reach, but reach out to those in your life that you're close with and just be vulnerable. Lead with vulnerability. Uh, Where vulnerability lives, grace abounds. We believe in grace. So lead with vulnerability so that uh, you can experience more of that grace. So we're going to transition now into the mailbag and you can always email the show. It is podcast at beyondthebattle.net, podcast at beyondthebattle.net. And our mailbag today is going to launch us into sort of the topic of the day as well, which is part two of how to talk about politics and polarizing issues. So I interviewed Preston Sprinkle. Last episode, be sure to catch up on that. It was a super long interview or episode between Noah's rant and the intro and a long, too long of an interview on my my fault, asking too many questions. It was about two hours long, so plenty of time for you to have lots of flip side love. Uh, so today's episode, hopefully, it's just going to be me. It's going to be a little bit shorter but they're uh, thankfully shorter. But there was some things just after doing the podcast I wanted to talk about, and our mailbag kind of starts to bring up some of those things. So let's jump into the mailbag. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. here. All right. So. This email comes from Janie, and she says, Thanks for interviewing Preston Sprinkle on your last episode. Obviously, I really needed to hear it. As I admit, I may or may not have been someone who almost checked out toward the end when he made a comment about Fox News. And insert sort of the laugh emoji. But I stuck in there, and I'm glad I did. Really appreciate the conviction and timely word from him To love people and look deeper at the nuances within political issues. Appreciate the podcast. Thanks for that email, Janie. And yeah, it's funny. She mentions a spot in the interview. It's towards the end of the interview, I think. And well, he meant, maybe not. Towards the end of the interview is when I made a joke. He mentioned something about how he felt like Fox News was more objective than CNN. And he he gave some examples of that. And I and I cut in sort of immediately when he said that jokingly. And I wish I had actually said more about it then. And I'm going to I'm going to say more about it now. But I had cut in and said, well, Preston, just half of my listeners just turned off the episode because, you know, you just sided, so to speak, with with Fox News. And the point that I wanted to, and so Janie was making sort of a, I appreciate the tongue in cheek sort of reference to that of saying, yep, that was me. I was one of them. My, my point is, is, well, it's kind of twofold. One there and, and this is something you, you, you heard me talk about with Preston. You heard my brother Patrick and I talk about it two episodes ago. I'd encourage you to get caught up on both of those interviews if you haven't already. But what I see is really, really concerning, and, I, and I, I can legitimately say this as someone who I don't participate in sort of the political hobby. I'm not a political hobbyist. So I don't have cable. I can legitimately tell you I've never, ever watched Fox News or CNN outside of, if I'm at the gym working out and they they have something on, uh, probably yeah. I've read some random internet articles now. Uh, I do I do go over to Apple News, the app on my phone, and it will give you sort of the trending news stories out there. And 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 I think I know there's there's certain news outlets that lean left and certain ones that lean right, and you can. Some of you out there are much more knowledgeable of these things than me, and and within that, there's some some news articles from Fox News or CNN that I, that I end up reading. But but by and large, I am a a non-bias observer. We all have biases, but I'm a, I'm a I don't have a I don't have a dog in the horse. I don't I don't watch one of these things. Uh, re, excuse me, religiously, and so what I observe happening, and and this is what we're this is. This is what we're trying to get to. And and it was mentioned by Preston, it was mentioned by my brother, and I was talking with a friend of mine even this morning and and he said this. He said, "Whatever you want to believe, there's a stat out there for it." And he was just talking about being frustrated. My friend is a pastor and he's passionate about Black Lives Matter and he's he's passionate about racial reconciliation and he's he's in a he's he's frustrated because he just it's almost like we don't even have ways anymore of talking about these things. Metaphorically speaking, how would you talk about someone? How would you talk to someone before? Well, you know, maybe you talk to them on the phone, or it's it's almost like we've smashed the phone to bits, and we just live now in a in a echo chamber, right? We 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 live in these these tribes, and what I what I want you to get at from from today's episode and the last two episodes. Is as Christians, we have to rise above tribalism. You you can't sit there and say, I and my friend wasn't saying this, but but, but people do this, and uh, I'm I'm so passionate about let's say uh, Black Lives Matter that the 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 left, so to speak, and I I kind of try to nuance all these things because even the categories we we use, uh, left or liberal or conservative right they even out of themselves play into the tribalism and the the sides the sides that we take and I'm on this team and and, and this sort of thing but I'm going to y- use some of those terms because obviously that's that's the that's the, the that's the playing field we're in right that's the why can I think of the word the landscape there we go that's the, the cultural landscape that we're in so, so you could say I'm I'm passionate about Black Lives Matter. That that doesn't mean you you need to become zealous and draconian about every single thing from the left. And if you're passionate about, let's say, you could be abortion or or a topic that Preston writes about a lot. He's he does a very good job of writing about. Uh, sexuality, and I highly recommend his book, People to be Loved. Uh, and but but in that, he writes about w- what does it look like to be a uh, Christian who holds to biblical truth, bi- we as in we hold the Bible as true, is what I mean. And you know, the Bible talks about marriage being for a man and a woman. and yet we have friends and people all around us. That are in the LGBTQ community and we know now that this is not a choice that they make to to have these orientations and attractions and so how do we navigate this and and so highly recommend uh, people to be loved and uh, Preston has a new book coming out about transgender identities, and I'm going to interview him next year, later, closer, uh, February, January, February, before the book comes out, and we'll talk about some of this stuff more. Uh, But my point is, at the end of the day, uh, traditional sort of marriage would be on the side of the right, And, and maybe that's something that you are really passionate about, or you're passionate about religious freedom. And so what, what I mean is that doesn't mean go on the side of the right and become zealous and draconian and dogmatic about every single thing that the right stands for and the politicians that it represents feeling like, yeah, this is my team, Cincinnati Reds. That's my baseball team. And don't you dare talk bad about Joey Votto. Right? He's mostly like, I don't care about any of this. It's I do love the Cincinnati Reds. They baseball started sort of yesterday. There was an exhibition game on, and it, it was it was nice to watch in an empty stadium there, in the midst of COVID, uh, a, an actual baseball game being played. But we we treat our political alliances. The way we treat our our sports teams, and it becomes a real problem. In fact, take this as an example. Let's use sports just as a metaphor. So, sport, non sports fans, hang in there. This is a sports metaphor to make a point. That, but it's you'll get it. You'll you'll I trust me. Right? <laughs> this is not one of those sports metaphors that's only for m- male sports fans, and everybody else tunes out. Okay, so you can look at let's say in the NFL. It's been uh, domestic violence this is really what i'm talking about domestic violence is something that has been has plagued society and it's plagued sports and what what's happened uh you can go back 5 or 10 years and find story after story of an nfl player who commits domestic violence domestic abuse against a woman and if that player is good if that player is is a high skill player, and they were one of the stars of their team. They they kind of get a slap on the wrist. They they sort of they or or they might get kicked off their team because that team wants to make a statement. But guess what? There's 29 more teams or however many teams there are that that are ready to pick them up and offer them contracts. And yet, if the player is not very good. And sort of barely hanging on the roster, they're a second stringer or just, you know, very replaceable player, then the league will make an example of them, you know, we're against domestic violence. And, and so my point is, we love our team so much, that we'll buy a jersey of this guy that abuses women. And we, we just ignore that part of his life as if, as if it's a non-issue and we can just compartmentalize it and we can cheer him on as a player because we love our team so much and we have so much invested in our team. And, and, and as a metaphor, I'm saying that's what we do with these political parties and with our politicians. We care so much about one issue or two issues or whatever it is, and then we get caught up. We get swept up in the, in the pep rallies and the fight songs and wearing the team colors and of having an enemy and of salivating at the mouth and watching these debates and seeing who can belittle the other one more and make a fool of the other side and call them all these names. And it's very worldly. It's a very worldly system. It's a very non-Jesus-like way of dealing with people and treating people. But we get caught up in it to the point that we ignore the the faults of our politicians as people and we exalt them like they're gods. And, uh, and and we, we, we defend them at all costs, and we ignore the faults of the side uh, that we're on. And, and it it creates an environment where, and this is something my my brother, who I talked to uh, today as well, he he talked about this lack of gray space. and And so you'll find some of that in our interview from two episodes ago. But he said, you know, what we've lost is this idea that you have evil in you too. So, so there's this thing, it's called cancel culture. Some of you are familiar with it, some of you aren't, but it's this idea. And I'm, I'm probably not summing it up to the, some of you might have the real definition of, of cancel culture and you'll cancel me because I said it wrong. But it's this idea that you can unfriend, you can block, you can unfollow, you can boycott. Uh, and I'm not against all boycotts, but this idea that you can cancel someone out of your life because they disagree with you. so, you you could have someone you were friends with, but you've canceled them because they had a different view than you on immigration or race, racism, black lives matter, or on Trump or uh abortion or whatever it was, you can't or or sexuality stuff. So you cancel them out of your life and and it's created again, I go back to that word draconian, which this this dictatorial, this this is the way it's going to be and if you don't like it then then you're dead to me. And and that now is the climate of conversation around polarizing issues and it becomes nearly impossible to to how do you how do you be the church within that sort of environment? It it feels like well you just let tribalism win. You just create churches around your tribe around your political tribe. So everybody agrees with everybody. No, no way. Jesus never, ever did that. Jesus didn't, he didn't uh, align with one tribe. He brought his own kingdom. He is our king and our allegiance is to him. And what's crazy is, and, and very fascinating is if you study first century Roman empire and even first century Judaism, there were tons of political factions within Judaism. You had Pharisees, you had Sadducees, you had Zealots, you had Essenes, then you had the Roman Empire, and you had the Herodians, and you had all, all kinds of factions in between the Roman Empire. And Jesus didn't come and say, yes, the Sadducees are right, or the Essenes are right, align with them. He said, follow me. And, and he laid out to us uh, a kingdom where, where he is the king. And that has got to be what the church looks like today. And, and we have to take a, a time like this where I'm hoping we're beginning to realize the ridiculousness of it. If you are a Fox News fan boy or fangirl, or you are a CNN fan boy or fangirl, and I, I, at least you can, I want you to see how ridiculous the cultural climate is that we're in to, to start to say, you know what? As passionate as I am about this stuff, this is not going in a good direction on a on a on a on a macro level. And 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 what are the ways the things that are influencing me to be sort of brainwashed? I, I do believe we're being brainwashed into thinking these things where we to where we get to a point where we can't have conversations anymore. And when you can get to a point like my friend said where Anything you want to believe, you can go find a news article about it. You can go find a stat. If you want to believe something about COVID, just Google that stat and you will find something to believe that will back up what you already believe. Think about about that if... If you were Jesus and you were walking through the United States of America today, trying to have conversations with people, and and just think about that type of mindset about about the things uh, that that we believe, right? And so, I think we we have to start by getting back to a place of saying, you know what? I have evil in me too, and I need to back way off my high horse and repent of my brokenness before God and treat people that don't agree with me as people to love them to see their brokenness to see my brokenness to have compassion on them to have compassion on myself and to say wow we i've got a long way to go and 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 to to not to to not talk about this stuff as if everybody else is an idiot and I've got it all figured out. Okay, so that's sort of the 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 primary lesson, if you will, heart change. I'm I'm going for heart change. I'm going for transformation here, and seeing this just crazy political climate and the way we are just biting and devouring each other, so to speak, as a as a as a way that I think we'll, we'll eventually start to wake up, and, and in that waking up and saying whoa, this is a messed up way to talk and interact, to open yourself to this type of heart change and and transformation. So if you will, let me kind of pepper around to a couple of different topics. I want to say a few more things that relate to what I was just talking about and then I want to hit on just a few things. Uh, after my Preston Sprinkle interview, I even actually said this in the, in the interview, when I'm podcasting and if particularly when I'm interviewing, I think of things later and say, oh, I wish I would have said that then. And so Janie's email, uh, bringing back and said, you know what? I'm just going to, the things I thought of that I had wish I had said in that episode, I'm going to tell them to you now. Some of them are related. Some of them are a little bit unrelated. So, So we'll keep kind of peppering through at this point. So one thing. Not particularly related to the press and sprinkle interview, but about the political conversation in general I, w- I want to bring up is is there is a real there is a real tension for Christians I was I was talking to and I and I say this, I think we we need to just be humble, we can be firm and bold, but also humble, right? And so I was talking to a friend of mine he works in Christian media, okay, so he creates. I don't mean left-behind movies. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, he creates documentaries and works with, you know, big networks, NBC, things like that. They're trying to, you know, get these things out there, Some some really good, solid stuff. Works for a Christian media company, and he and I were talking just a little bit about, you know, just kind of came up because it it comes up right you're having talking about COVID and then boom it turns into this or it's a political election so boom it turns into this or Black Lives Matter and or whatever it might be George Floyd and I was saying that something I, I wrestle with is and you can you can disagree with me on this and I hope to say it humbly that that allows for you know disagreement but It feels to me and a a strong passion I have. I have a strong passion for racial reconciliation. I'm not going to get into all of it here because I told you this would not be a two-hour episode. You can go back to episode 30, I believe it was, the George Floyd episode uh, that I did, but give you some context. I, I believe in the need. I believe in the need for racial reconciliation. I believe that it is... Part of my responsibility as a Christian, as a Bible believing pastor, Bible believing Christian, following the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Old Testament, that we are we are to bring justice to injustice. We are to we are to free the oppressed uh, where things have been broken. We are to restore. We are to reconcile uh, things that have been broken, and that's individual sin as well as systemic sins, and and so therefore. Uh, i am I am a supporter of not the Black Lives Matter organization, but and I have a blog on that if you're curious about it., uh, but certainly the the movement, the movement. and I, I'm supportive of things like, Fixing our immigration policy, not building a wall, uh, but realizing we have a broken system that's not fair. It's an unjust system, and if we were to rework the system, I have an interview with Matthew Sorens from World Relief from way back in the archives. You can find if you want a really great background about our immigration policy and the system that needs to be be fixed. And there's tons of evangelical Christians that that are on that would agree with what I with what I just said and and is saying man these are these are oppressed vulnerable people and and we need to figure out as christians how to love them and help them and and our policy stinks basically if you there's no there isn't a path to become a a citizen in our country if you're coming from Mexico there's laws that prevent you from being able to do that or the laws that are there require something like a twenty-year wait, uh, and even then you may not be able to enter our country. And so I'm giving you the very, very truncated version. But in this conversation, I just said to my friend, "These feel like Christian issues to me. If if I I, I hate the tribalism. I hate that you have to pick a side because these seem like Christian issues." And and he agreed. He said, "Yeah, I I agree." And then there, there's also this sort of scary other side of politics. And again, I, I'm not a political hobbyist, so I might misquote people here. So take the quotes and such with a grain of salt. I remember in one of those, if I was at the gym or who knows where, saw something online, I think it was, it was Bernie Sanders and he was, who's obviously a Democrat or, you know, and I, I even amongst Democrats, he's an outlier of sorts. Uh, but he was, as a senator, uh, he was really ripping on some Christian who was also a senator and just really ripping on the Christian faith. And there's, uh, uh, so obviously, if you were to say Black Lives Matter or racial justice or immigration, those are left sort of issues. But, uh, but and my friend who works in Christian media, he was saying also with the left, there's this really anti Christian. Uh, bent that that they uh, in 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 media as well. They're trying to do everything they can to keep Christians out of media. And this guy's not a conspiracy theorist. He's just talking about his regular daily job and the and the people that he interacts with. And th- there is this this fear, somewhat legitimate fear. Uh, and back to those topics of. Of the what the Bible says about marriage being between a man and a woman, and about gender and these things, and as, as, as the the you would say, the left would be very politically pro. Uh, oh, now I'm getting into I'm the temperature I'm getting into murky water here. I I don't want to push you away with, with the very thing I'm trying to teach us you know not to do right so bear with me a little bit i'm just trying to kind of lay give you a lay of the land and say how complicated this really is uh but but as as sort of the the left is saying hey we need to be open about everything everything's everything's allowed everything's good and then, and if you disagree, here comes the sort of that draconian sense, that cancel culture sense. If you disagree, then we're going to lock you up. If you disagree then, so we are so right. You are so evil, so to speak. You know, if you disagree and there's no, there's no gray area even to learn, there's no gray area even to say, tell me about your experience. Tell me about what that's like. And and can we learn and be in relationship and even friendship together as we as we walk these things. And so that's a that's a significant reason for for my friend to lean right politically a real fear of of uh, and and again probably somewhat legitimate fear that 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 uh the the anti-christian to the point of saying we could could it could it someday be illegal to be a Christian, you know, or or to hold these sorts of views. And so there's 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 those reasons for for my friend to be on the 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 right and 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 he agreed with me that these other issues are christian issues uh, immigration and and racial justice that that he supports uh and so it's it's just a it's a it's a lose lose situation and so i think it's really important when we have these conversations to to be able to really nuance them and to be, if if you're on the left, to be able to call out when people on the left are saying things that are anti-biblical and anti-Jesus. And when you're on the, if you're on the right, to be able to call out when people on the right are saying things that are anti-biblical and anti-Jesus. And let's be honest, which has more power? You have the left honk and I don't really know what honk, maybe there's, I shouldn't say that, I think it's okay to say honk, honk to me means, <laughs> uh, I used to call Tyler uh, a reformed honk when we did the black and white theology podcast, a honk is someone, I'm, I'm a Cincinnati Reds honk, I just am, I, the Reds, the Reds, you know, everything's great, I'm always, it's, it's, nothing's, no, you could, and that's not true, because the Reds are terrible, and I like to make fun of them, but my point is, if you're on the right and you're just this fanboy, this fangirl, and uh, and and then the left does something you don't like and you post a social media post about it, who cares if you're, you're just adding to the noise of the echo chamber, someone on the right who's right, 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 and, and pledge allegiances to the right, and they say something nasty or mean or crit- critical about the left, nobody, doesn't doesn't help anyone draw closer to Jesus. Somebody on the left that's a left honk, they're a left fanboy, left fangirl. They pledge allegiance to the flag of the left, and it's left, 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 left. And they post something on social media that's nasty or mean or critical or gives a critique of the right or or even something that they say, hey, th- what the right's doing is not biblical. It, it, it's 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 not of Jesus. Um, who cares? Nobody's. You're just adding to the echo chamber because it's expected that you're going to criticize the other side. So what I'm saying is this. Criticize your own side. If you're on the left, look at the things that the left are doing that aren't of Jesus or aren't of Scripture. If you're on the right, look at the things that the right is doing that aren't of Jesus and aren't of Scripture, and start writing social media posts About those things and criticize your own side. Be a prophet to your own side. Stay on that side and keep your allegiance there, but be a prophet among your own people. And what you'll start to do is get people's attention and say, Oh, wow, I could. People will start to actually learn about the ways of Jesus if you start doing that. They're gonna start listening and say, That person who's on the left is critiquing the left not being in line with Jesus. Maybe I'll listen. The person on the right is critiquing the right for not being in line with Jesus. Maybe I'll listen. And even psychologically, the people on the right will listen because they're on your side with you. No, they're, oh, they're one of me. They're one of me, so I can listen. I'll listen to them. They're one, they're, on, they're they're one of us. But the people on the left will listen to you too because they're saying, "Oh, they're trumpeting one of my causes. I'm going to listen to them. Yeah, I might even reshare that." Look, even people on the right say, "You know, this is wrong." But but at the end of the day, you're going to get people actually listening about what you're saying in an, in your effort to draw people closer to Jesus and kingdom values and kingdom principles. So chew on that and think about that. Let me let me pepper around a little bit to some things uh, from the Preston Sprinkle interview. I I wish I had pushed him more and maybe just elaborated more on what I meant about being a Christian nation from the start. We both agreed we, we were not a Christian nation from the start. I made a, a comment. What would you say to people who... Because he was talking about how we are in exile and what that means. You can listen to it for the full context. But in exile, we're not a Christian nation, but we're Christians. So we're sort of like when the Israelites lived in Babylon. We were a, a people of God living under a government and a culture that was not of God. How do you do that well? Well, And so I said, well, some people would say that's not true of the United States because we're a Christian nation. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, I said, in God we trust is on our money. And people would say, oh, the founding fathers were, the founding fathers were Christians. And so, yeah, we talked about how, you know, the founding fathers, a lot of them were deists and Thomas Jefferson has his Bible where he he took out all the miracles and you're only left with 20% of of the gospels or of Jesus sayings or something like that. So they weren't... most many of them and we didn't we didn't know the specifics of it, but it, it wasn't that all of the founding fathers by any stretch were actually Christians. And where I wanted to go, and I just didn't, it wasn't that I was scared to, I just we talked fast and we moved on to another topic. But I wanted to push more this idea that we weren't doing Christian things from the start. So when we talk about our country and the, the, the history of our country and Preston talked about we were founded on Judeo-Christian values, you know, and, and we talked about that quite a bit as well. The point I wanted to make was our country was founded on violence. It was and if you read what Jesus says and, and Preston as well, wrote, Preston wrote a whole book on nonviolence. And so I think he would agree with me on this one. Um, Jesus wasn't very nonviolent and we founded our country based on genocide over Native Americans. I don't mean necessarily the violence over England. You have that conversation. I'm talking about genocide of Native Americans. I, I think that is one of the greatest atrocities in human history that we barely talk about. We've, we've almost completely obliterated Native Americans from existence. We give them almost zero political voice Today, we—that's what we founded our country on, and, and there were Christian ideologies behind that, uh, manifest destiny, and oh, there's another one. There was these papal bulls that were given by the Pope in Rome to go out to for white Christians to go out and take land that was uh, occupied by savages, and that was God's land, and they were to take it, and they used Old Testament promised land imagery and. It's it's awful. It's disgusting. And it's uh, we, we have to own that as part of our as a part of our our, our history. And and so that's where I was getting at, that we weren't really a Christian nation. We founded our country on the genocide of Native Americans, and then we built our country on slavery. We built the economic system of our country on African slaves, on black bodies that we enslaved and then we benefited from, and we legitimately built a whole society off of that as our economic engine. In, in, and I don't think the North was exempt from that. I, we didn't have the climate for slavery, the climate for, for cotton fields, and so we just benefited in the North from the same economic system as in the South, and and, and we can get into all, all of that and, and how that got us to where we are today as a country, but these aren't Christian things, and, and I think, I, I'm not saying this Trust me, against Preston. I just wish we had been able to talk more about that, and I think he would have agreed with with a lot of what I just said. But I I wanted to add that to the conversation, uh, so that when I talk about our country was not founded as a Christian nation, uh, that's that's a lot of of along with the actual theology of the founding fathers. That's a lot of what I of uh, of what I mean as well. I also wish I would have talked to Preston, and again, I had I. <laughs> I asked way too many questions and the interview went way too long. But about Donald Trump and Preston mentioned being, uh, you know, what do you call that? A moderate, you know, being in the middle, but being just a little bit right of center. So he said if there were 20 issues, I'd probably go 12 on the right, eight on the left, something like that. And it was cool that he was candid and comfortable, you know, talking about kind of where he was on that. And I don't know. I don't know where I am. I like to plea feign. I like to feign ignorance, so that I don't have to have to kind of, um, you know, say which which of those I'd go towards. But but Donald Trump, man, I, I'd love to get some thoughts uh, on how what is appropriate for a pastor in talking about Donald Trump specifically. Because I I asked Preston what he thought about how pastors should talk about these issues. Donald Trump is is. Whether you're right or left, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, and there's plenty of people on the right that are anti-Trump. So, so we we're not just talking about two cat camps here, and categories. But you you have to at least wherever you're at on the spectrum, you got to at least admit there's nobody nobody like Donald Trump ever in the history of the American presidency. Just the. And so, but so let me now let me get off the fence a little bit, and I'll and some of these things I've said this before. I wouldn't put this on Twitter, and I would ask you that you don't quote me on Twitter or Facebook about this. I wouldn't say this in a sermon because you have a, you have a congregation to care for. But I, I as a pastor and as a Christian, I I need to point to Donald Trump before he was president, during his uh, what do you call that when you try to run for office? I don't know what you call. the campaigning and as a president just awful behavior awful immoral non-christian behavior and it's not to say that other presidents were saints and nor that a president has to be a saint but you have a guy who's posing as a christian he's literally posing and figuratively with that bible in front of that church in downtown washington dc and and so christians rally behind that. Christians, they, they rally behind an image like that, and and, and they will they rally behind some cheesed up confession of faith that Trump made when he was trying to get elected. And, and you have Christian leaders like uh, Franklin Graham would be one, Billy Graham's son. And, and I don't know where Franklin Graham is at now, but I know that at times he uh, has been very pro-Trump. And I, and I think he's a, I think, again, think uh, he's a spiritual advisor of some kind of Trump. There's the, if you ever want to read some horrific tweets, the president of Liberty University, which is the largest Christian evangelical university. I don't know the guy's name. Maybe I'll try to Google it real quick. His Trump's, his Trump's, his tweets, are the most non-Christian tweets I think I've ever read because they're coming from a professing Christian. They are awful, 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 unloving, unchristian, un-Jesus-like things to say, and a lot of them support Trump as well. And so so I have to at some point shepherd my flock and just before God say, no, we, we have to call out this behavior how trump has abused women in his past and 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 has still shown disrespect for women in his in his present and and has shown Uh, It's again, not holding someone's past over them, but it's when you're completely unrepentant and you perpetuate the same mindsets of abusing women and of, of racism. And if you're a hardcore Trump supporter, you might be hearing these things and you might've just clicked me off because you've, because of these echo chambers we live in, you've been trained and conditioned. When you hear trigger words, you immediately go, oh, that's the liberal agenda. That's the leftist agenda. It's not. It's, it's someone looking at this guy's behavior and going, yuck. I'm a non-political person saying, yuck. And it's it's not my job to say yuck to every single Hollywood celebrity that, that lives an incredibly immoral life. But when I see Christians rallying around a specific Hollywood celebrity, Donald Trump in this case... And rallying behind him as if he is a bastion of Christianity or a bastion of morality. Oh no 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 no! Even if you, because of your political leanings towards whatever it might be—abortion or uh, religious freedom, or you know, sort of protecting Christianity or or something along the lines of marriage and sexuality, whatever it might be—I, I, you you have to call out this behavior. You. You you have to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff of your own party, and and you can hold on to your those convictions of those of those uh, beliefs of those uh, what's a political word for it <laughs> I'm so not political those things those laws that you like <laughs> those those causes help me out uh, without acting like Trump is uh, model of Jesus, of Christianity, of, of even, that does have even anything to do with Christianity whatsoever. I mean, I think we, we have to say, does this person's life and, and, and how the, I, I mean, who, who, and then to know that when, wh- okay, so when you do that, when you, when you trumpet that as as if as if those are one and the same you completely alienate yourself from people of color from many women from the whole side the whole left side of our country people that we want to reach for Jesus and you're completely alienating them because you're basically saying yes we are behind we approve these actions of trump and we you know in trump we trust and make america great again and all these things and and they see that as marrying trump with christianity as one and the same so we have to stop doing that i'm doing it here on the podcast and i wanted to talk to preston about what what he feels like a pastor's role could be and talking about the immoral behavior Of our president, which is different to me than for me as a pastor saying, oh, you need to vote for Obama or, oh, you need to vote for McCain, thinking of a previous election, where I think, no, a a pastor shouldn't do that. Uh, And and a pastor shouldn't associate their candidate with with Jesus and the church and the church's stance because all these candidates and parties uh, particularly are corrupt. And so to me, those are two different things. And if you want to chime in on that, uh, let me know two different things, as in, as in critiquing and calling out this moral immoral behavior as non-Christian and something we need to be blatantly against. Uh, but I admittedly uh, am a little gun shy on Twitter or Facebook or blogging about saying things directly against Trump because I'm a pastor. But if I wasn't a pastor, who man, I would be, <laughs> I would be. But in doing so. C- can we do it in a way where where people that are so pro Trump could actually hear it and say, "Oh yeah, maybe you're right." People that are Christians and say, "I maybe need to kind of re-examine my heart and and those sorts of things." So there you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up there. There were a couple other things I thought uh, would be interesting to talk more about with pastors not getting paid and and whatnot, but maybe that I'll save that for I'll save that for another another episode of the Flipside Podcast. So I hope part two was helpful. I hope it helps you sort of decompress a few more things. It's really kind of part three, interviewed my brother Patrick and then Preston and now this, and just kind of getting us through this season. Haven't read it yet, but I just heard about a new book uh, by Eugene Cho, And Preston may have mentioned it. I don't remember because I know he's interviewed Eugene Cho. So on Preston's Theology in the Raw podcast, you can look that up, Theology in the Raw, Eugene Cho interview with Preston Sprinkle. uh, Eugene has a new book out on how, I believe it's something called How to Talk About Politics Without Being a Jerk. And knowing the little I know about Eugene, I think he's going to talk a lot about the stuff I've been talking about uh, on here and in the last three episodes. So if you want to kind of dig in deeper, I would recommend that book, uh, loosely recommend the book since, since, since I haven't read it yet. So uh, without uh, further ado, its it's been a rough season, right? It's been a rough season. C- c- uh, COVID-19, we're talking about uh, politics. We got, we got all this division in our country. And if there's one thing that can unite the country, if there's one thing that can bring us together That one thing is Noah's rant. That's right. (laughs) If everyone in our country listened to Noah's rant, I I think our country would be united. We'd be in a much better place. So before I go to Noah's rant, before I play the drop, I just need to give the preface, the disclaimer, the warning. There will be no more serious content from this point on in the podcast. If you listen to the flip side for deep, heart-transforming, cutting, profound things, All of that is over, if we did any of that. All of that is now over. You should stop listening. If you continue listening, it is your fault. It is completely your responsibility. Noah's rant is nothing but silliness, ridiculousness. Could I even say stupidity? (laughs) I can, because it's about me. So without further ado, it's time for the one and only Noah's rant. Noah's rant. So, the Noah's rant today goes out to the mm mm-hmm person on the other end of the phone when you are trying to tell somebody, whether it's a customer service rep or some kind of somebody who's writing down Some numbers of yours. Usually this would be your credit card information if you're paying for something over the phone. In my case, most recently I was at the library and because of COVID, where our library does, you know, pull up, pick up to get your books, which is cool. You call the number. They ask you for your library card. It's a super long number. So you tell them your super long library card number. And they write it down as you go. Now, if <laughs> have you ever been in this situation? when the mm-hmm person is on the other end of the line and they ask you for your you know your credit card number, your library card number in this case and you say I'm just gonna I'm gonna make up some random numbers here. I'm not gonna not gonna give you my credit card information sensitive over my library card come on, are you kidding me? I don't want you to hack my library card account, my library account. but you're giving them your numbers you know four, three, five and you're talking. And they <laughs> you take a little uh there's multiple ways this can go. You're given your numbers and you hear them go, mm-hmm on the other end of the line, you go, Whoa, whoa, you just you just mm hmm me. So uh or oh, credit cards are the worst because you know they're 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 in they're in numbers of four and I never know ahead of time if this is an mm-hmm person or not an mm mm-hmm person. So so you're trying to give your credit card numbers or your library card five, two Four, three, four, and hmm You hear the mm-hmm while you're giving the number. Could be your phone number. That's another one, having them write the number. And you go, I just gave you my number, but I don't know if you heard the number I gave you because you mm hmm me in the middle of... Of me giving you the numbers. So the, the the point of the mm-hmm, where they're coming from in their heart, is to affirm to you, I heard those numbers. I've got them down. But when you give the mm-hmm, it actually does the exact opposite. When you give the mm-hmm and you've r- rudely mm-hmm interrupted my string of numbers that I'm giving you, now I don't know if you heard the last number or two I gave you. Because, how can you hear the numbers I'm giving you if I'm going 875322? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You're, you're mm hmm. And how did you hear me say the number eight in the middle of your mm hmm experience? And so then I have to pause and go. In the midst of their mm hmm, did they hear me say the number eight? So then I feel like I need to repeat the number eight because I need to make sure they have it. But now I don't know, did they hear the number eight twice? And this is this is bad. If it's a library card phone number, if it's a credit card what, whatever it may be and so it's it's almost like we need to have this little dance before we do these phone conversations with the potential mm-hmm person and 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 you know hey what's your name so just okay great uh you know where you maybe whatever whatever sort of security question they have asked you and then and then I need to ask them if they don't reveal already and say, Okay, are you an mm-hmm person? If they say, Okay, what's your credit card number? and I gotta ask, are you gonna mm-hmm me every four digits? Because I honestly if I if I'm anticipating an mm or if I think, I think I got an mm-hmm around the line, I'm just gonna be cautious and every four digits I'm gonna I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna I'm just gonna give a little space. I wanna be hospitable here. I wanna give them the opportunity to offer their mm-hmm because I know I know how important that is to this person. So I'll say, you know, eight, two, five, three. Pause. Just chilling. Pause. Waiting for the mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Sometimes. The mm-hmm never comes. You think you had an mm hmm but you don't have an hmm You have a non mm hmm and you're trying to be hospitable if they are hmm and now you look like a complete idiot because they're waiting for you to give the fifth digit, and they, they say, are you still there? Hello? What's the what's the next digit? I asked you to give you your digits, and you're, you're thinking, oh, man, I was just trying to wait to see if you were an mm hmm and you're obviously not, but it's too late and the only way to find out was to awkwardly pause for the mm-hmm because if I didn't pause for the mm-hmm you probably were an mm hmm and you'd be mm-hmm-ing me and interrupting all the numbers I gave and then you wouldn't get the numbers in the first place and you'd think I was rude for not pausing for you to give your mm hmm Whew, I'm telling you, this, this world is hard, isn't it? I mean, it is hard. It's not easy when you're on the phone with the potential mm hmm -er. So Noah's rant is here. It exists to make the world a better place. And in the hard times we're in, to really to unite the world. And so... So here's the thing, I'm not one of these judgmental people, I'm not one of these people we've been talking about politics, polarizing issues, look if you're if if you're the phone person, I'm not telling you, you need to be an mm no, I'm not going to tell you that, I have a feel like a strong valid case why you should not mm-hmm, but if you feel led to mm-hmm, I'm not going to take that away from you, nor uh, will I die on the hill of a crusade, of, of of telling everyone they need to be an mm You don't need to be an mm or not be or be a non-mm-hmmmer. is completely up to you, the Holy Spirit, your family, your family tradition, the tradition of your elders and your forefathers and foremothers. But this is what you need to do, phone people. You you need to communicate to me when I'm on the phone with you so I know how to prepare if you are an mm-hmm or not, when you say, give me your library card number, you need to say, and pause every four numbers so I can say mm-hmm. Give me your credit card information, pausing every four digits, so I can say, mm mm-hmm. Or, hey, give me your credit card information. I will not be pausing to say, mm mm-hmm. I will simply be listening like a normal human being, not hard to do, to write down 16 numbers in a row without having to say, mm -hmm. mm-hmm. And that's what I'll be doing this time. So just go ahead and say all 16, and I will write them down. That's all I'm asking. That's all the world is asking from you, phone people, is to give us a little advanced Notice so we don't go into this like a coin flip playing Russian roulette wondering if you are gonna <clears throat> me or not. We can just we just be cool. We live at peace, which is what we want. We all want peace. This is Noah's rant is all about peace. It's all about calmness, tranquility, peace, harmony. That's what we're getting at. That's what we're talking about. Can you feel it? Mm. Feel that? I like that. That's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to end on. Feels like a nice, nice peaceful place don't you agree that noah's rant again has made the world a better place i do i do in the hard times we're in we have noah's rant to carry us through so with that we end episode 33 of the flip side podcast stay tuned subscribe if you haven't already we have some very great interviews lined up author Sarah Arthur that's hard to say author Arthur and also author Todd A. Wilson interviews coming up I will see you next time on the flip side the flip side with Noah Filipiak is a South Francis Press production Copyright Noah Flipiak. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Use with permission. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found.
0: Souls, neat and revivals, what am I? I do influence like the couple full of that Bombay. Kelly's to them Tom Hanks, Lexus to them Andres. Holding they get in my inner of reverence, stressing for leverage. That they see the king tracks on the pavement leading to heaven. Yow, yow, dripping in that God that don't perish. Selling fake, see the green and running belly. Taking refuge in his hand. See his poems, my living quarters. Hold them when I'm finished. Then it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory, cause you in or you out. When you see him in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all gods, baby, so confused by this hatred. Poor Pit preachers shouldn't aim to be a list. Money probably long, but short is what your days. Have You ever heard the sound of freedom? Caught up in emotions and following your passions Talking of freedom, our people need them more than an Easter Or coffee shop discussions, debating over baristas Please, sir, this is why we inked up boss, from the spirit. Put it through the preamp and mix it like a chemist. Put it in the airwaves and hoping that they hear it. If there's some confusion, then I hope you see him clearly. Raise them, raise them, raise em. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies, so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preacher shouldn't aim to be a list. Money probably long, but sure it's with your daisy. Uh.